see you guys. You guys are sure fun to preach with. You know, you don't, you don't preach to people, you preach with people, you know that? I learned that a long time ago. I preached the same sermon one time to a, a denominational church when I was in seminary, and uh, it was way different than when I went home and preached the same sermon to my home church at the time, you know? It was way different, and I learned the lesson that preaching is not something you do to people, it's something you do with people. So you guys are really fun. Every, all of our preachers say that. They said, these, these guys really, really, they listen so good, and they just are, they're into it. I like that about you guys, just to let you know that. Well, you know, uh, we're doing a Revive Us Again, O Lord uh, series. This is, I just love this series. I love revival. I love, a, I have a graduate degree in uh, church history, and that's really the history of revivals, and I've always just enjoyed reading about God's great works down through the years and um, and the revivals in the Bible. And, you know, I was thinking, this is something that I often do at in the Sundays and the weekend services after Easter, after Resurrection Sunday. I really feel it's a big mistake to, to think of Resurrection Sunday as a once-a-year sort of a dynamic when... Um, it really is part and parcel of the simple message of the gospel, isn't it? And when you read the book of Acts, it was resurrection, 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 and flashing lights all the way through the first 30 years of the, of the history of the church. And, and I like to preach for, on resurrection. Uh, I have typically or often preached on resurrection for several Sundays in a row after, after Easter simply to to impart to us that reality that it's, it, it permeates our whole life in Jesus. It permeates our own personhoods in Jesus. And the, and the family, the, the culture of New Song Church is, is permeated and infused with resurrection reality and fire. And that's part and parcel too, isn't it, of what revival is all about. Would you agree with me about that? So... Because the resurrection is um, preceded by the crucifixion, it doesn't stand alone. It's, it's, uh, it's Jesus Christ saying, you know, everything I purchased and blood-bought for you on Good Friday, I'm going to, me along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, we're going to make sure it happens for you, personally. We're going to impose this on you. So would you uh, join me in a prayer right now as we thank God for both the Good Friday, and it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Jesus Christ, we praise you that on that first Good Friday, you took our place. Say, you took our place. Repeat these phrases after me. Lord Jesus, you took our place. You bore our sin. You became our curse. You endured our penalty. And you died our death. Hallelujah. Yeah, and Lord Jesus, I always want to say thank you for enforcing it. Thank you that you're continuing to make sure that what you bought for us on that Good Friday is being implemented into our lives. Thank you and praise you. Amen. So today... I want to talk a little bit more about Peter's run to resurrection revival. 
You know, Peter experienced five Jesus encounters in the first few days after Jesus rose from the dead. Certainly, his run to revival with his friend John was an encounter with God, even though he didn't see the resurrected Jesus in the moment. They went into the tomb, they saw the folded shroud there and all. Something got stirred up there, we got to know that, right? But 1 Corinthians 15 says that in the list of the appearances of Jesus, he appeared to Peter. We don't know anything more about that. It was a one-on-one appearance. Then he appeared to all the apostles that were there except Judas. That was a profound moment. Judas skipped church that Sunday. You always miss something when you skip church, you know. And then he appeared to all the disciples when Judas was there. Jesus, uh, Peter was part of that. And then when Peter said, you know what? The wife is saying that uh, we're running low on the funds, so we're going to, I need to go fishing. And he, he, he did walk the 40 miles up to Sea of Galilee, and, and some of the other disciples said, you know, we're going to go with you fishing too. And then they went fishing, and there wasn't any catch. Bummer. But then they, they saw this guy with a, with a campfire on the beach, and the guy shouts out to him and says, cast your net on the other side. Deja vu. <laughs> we, saw, we heard that before. Peter, Peter uh, puts, on a, puts on a coat. Jumps in the water, swims about 100 yards, <laughs> gets up there on the beach, and it's Jesus Christ making a breakfast. I think of that verse often when I go fishing, that Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, one of the things he did was he went fishing. <laughs> he had these fish there. I don't know if he actually used a net. I know he didn't have an Oregon fishing license. <laughs> I don't know if he used a net or he just went like this. <laughs> but, he, but he cooked the fish. And, uh, of course, the guys caught all these other fish, 153 fish. John counted them. John's into detail. Uh, but we talked about the first resurrection experience of Peter last week. I want to talk about the fifth one this week that encounter after breakfast, where after they ate together, Jesus says, Pete, I have some stuff I have to talk to you about personally, so let's go. He went for a little walk, and, and, uh, and Peter, Jesus said this to Peter. We're going to read it from John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Now this was, this is a, this was a tearing away. This was a, a taking off of all of Peter's securities. Peter was stripped down spiritually to nothing. He knew he'd already failed Jesus, and it must have been hurt a little bit when his nickname had been Peter, Petros, the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And now it's back to Simon, son of Jonah. And in the Greek, Jesus is saying, using the word agape, when he says, do you love me? The first two times. It's a Greek word that was used very rarely in secular writings in the first century of Greek. But the Christians took it, baptized it, made it the word that describes a new level of revelation of the Father's love that says, I love you this much. I'm sending my son to die for you on the cross to redeem you to eternal life. And it's a word that is a mega word. It is a word that is a perlative word of love that the Christians started using. And Jesus is using that word when he says to Peter, do you love me with that kind of love, the kind of love that the Father loves everybody with that I've been revealing to you. And Peter says, honestly, I can't say I love you with that kind of love. (laughs) I failed you recently. I denied you three times. I... Uh, but I do love you with phileo love. You know the word Philadelphia, brotherly love? I do love you with brotherly love. That's the word he uses back. Then, then Jesus says, do you love me with agape love? And Pete says, oh, you know. <laughs> What's the point of lying here? I mean, you've got God looking at you right now. <laughs> I love you with phileo love. I love you as a friend. I love you as a brother. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me as a friend? And, and Peter says, yeah, yeah. And then he's grieved because he feels like he failed Jesus yet again. But interesting in this interaction... When Jesus says, do you agape love me? Do you agape love me? Do you phileo love me? And Pete says, yes, in some way we responded yes. And then Jesus says in response, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, take care of my lambs. And what Peter is receiving, it's like Jesus is, individually taking Peter aside from the other disciples, other apostles, and he's grabbing his shoulders and he's looking him right in the eye. And he's saying, in essence, he's tearing down Peter to nothing. So all that Pete has left is Jesus. Did that happen to you? You had that experience? More than once, perhaps. (laughs) Things taken away. God didn't take them away. Life took them away. And God comes in with redemption. And that redemption, that redeeming of your situation, your trauma, your difficulty, your challenge, 
breaking down of a relationship, unexpected health concerns, job problems, situations. Jesus comes in redemptively and says, want to see God at work? He takes you by the shoulders. He looks you in the eye like he did Peter. And he's basically saying, it's true. You don't love me like I love you. But you know what? As I break in, breaking you down and everything is, everything is demolished, all your securities and self-sufficiency, all of your self-sufficiency is not going to help anymore. But it's in that situation that I can look at you in the eye and say, Pentecost Sunday is coming. And in the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, you are going to be able to love me with agape love. With supernatural power, Pete, infused into your body and soul and spirit, you will love me with agape love. And those very words, you know, when God talks, there's creative, it's a creative event. Let there be light. Jesus takes Peter by the shoulders and looks him in the eye and essentially saying, you don't love me with agape love now. You're broken down to nothing. But here's what you do have, Pete. You've got me. And you got the Holy Ghost outpouring coming. And what's, what you're going to be able to do is you're going to love me with overflowing love. And you know what else? You're going to be able to love my, my sheep. You're going to be able to tend for them. You're going to be able to feed them. You're going to be able to care for them. You know the word lamb in Aramaic, which was the, you know, the play on the street children language of the disciples when they were kids? The word lamb doesn't just signify uh, a sacrificial lamb, but it signifies, it's a word that can also be translated son or servant. So what Jesus is saying is, Pete, not only are you going to care with affection and love like a shepherd does for a baby lamb, but you're going to take my, my sheep and my lambs that I died for, I, I blood-bought into the kingdom. You're not going to do it in your own power, in your own strength, but your feeble efforts, Pete, My presence is going, is going to show up when you try to just make a feeble effort to do some kind of ministry in my name. I'm going to show up and I'm going to not only help those lambs and sheep of mine feel fully cared for, that their lives really do matter to Almighty God, but they're going to see that I as the living Lord Jesus Christ, present in the moment, sees destiny in them as sons and servants of God, and they will realize their fullest potential in the kingdom of God, Pete, because of your feeble efforts and my presence with you, imparting that to them in a way that awakens vision for them for their personal life, the life of their family, the life of their church fellowship. 
And it's kind of, the kind of vision that will rock their world. There won't, their focus won't be on their weakness and their inabilities. Their focus is going to be on Jesus Christ and his incredible power. kind of thing that can make a preacher excited. It's a personal call. I think it's cool that the greatest commandment Jesus told him earlier, greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Agape, by the way. Greatest commandment. The kind of love that God has for us. The greatest commandment is to love God. Second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, look at me. It's impossible for you to do that until Acts 2 Pentecost hits you. And then you can do it easy. Because it's supernatural infusion of Jesus' love into your heart. And it becomes overflowing love to people. Isn't that a wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 6? Where the writer to the Hebrews tells the Jews for Jesus scattered out all over the Roman world. God is not unfaithful. He will remember the love you have shown him in that you have ministered to his people. To his church. One of the one, most wonderful ways that we express our love to Jesus is to love each other. There is a seamless continuity between our love for God and our love for people. It's a Holy Ghost-inspired love to God, but it overflows to God's people and to people in the world too. The sheep that don't know their sheep yet, the pre-believers that are out there. Such a huge variety of expressions, this release of the presence of Jesus and his love to people that happens. A few of the expressions are this. Miguel and Rosa preaching in Goldendale last week, week before Easter. A a city of only 5,000 people, but, but eight churches showed up. That's got to be a pretty good representation of the church in Goldendale. Fourteen salvations, one of them a witch. I submit to you that what you would have seen if you were there was was, uh, Rosa praying, And Miguel preaching like only Miguel can preach. But I want to tell you something. This is is absolutely vital. A vital part of a theology that Jesus is imparting to you this morning. Adjusting for you this morning. Chiropractic. Spiritual adjustment. What heaven saw... Is Miguel giving it his best shot, Rosa giving it her best shot, and Jesus 
coming through and encountering people face to face, no less than he encountered Peter after breakfast on that morning. With no less power, with no less reality, with no less influence, with no less impact, in a shaking, life-changing way. If you can't embrace that, you're going to impede what God wants to do in your life. Because you have a unique personality. Don't try to be like Miguel. Miguel has enough difficulty being like Miguel. Jesus Christ in his living presence for your unique personality is what Jesus wants for you. Have the courage to do that. Forgive yourself for not being like Miguel. Like I do. (laughs) Realize that there's a unique calling. I want to tell you, friends, it's absolutely liberating if you can get a hold of this. Be comfortable being yourself Jesus, let's, let's, let's consider Joyce Birchfield for a moment. Joyce works in our nursery ministering to young moms and babies and in puggles sometimes. In her kindness, in her words, in her smile, in her cheer, we see a sister that we love in Jesus. Heaven... And all the angels, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, Jesus, you know what they see? They see, they see Joyce's feeble efforts just to respond gently to what the Spirit's prompting her to do. They see Jesus Christ released in resurrection glory to those little kids. An encounter with Jesus to those moms. Every single time. With no less impact than when Miguel preaches to people and Rosa praises for people. With no less, with no less real reality and influence and impact and expression of the reality of Jesus than what people experienced during the three years of his ministry and what Peter experienced on the beach that morning. If you can see this in childlike faith, it will change the way you think about all that you do in God. Your feeble efforts, it doesn't matter what anybody else sees, doesn't matter what you see, but... People encounter Jesus Christ when you give it your best effort. They have a real encounter with him that shakes them up. Feels intense. Same thing with John and Robin Green, the work with the youth group. You might feel like, wow, you know what? I don't think I could be a youth pastor. You know what? I tried it for a month. I couldn't do it. <laughs> in, a, in a church we served last up in Astoria area, they said, we want you to be the youth pastor. Okay. I did it a month. I said, I'm a, I can't do this. 
I found what I could do is I, I could teach uh, at a Christian school. I taught Cascade Christian High School for seven years, ninth graders and high school kids. I could teach them the Bible. That was my niche. <laughs> I, youth pastor, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to condemn myself for that. What Sean and Robin do in their team is uniquely beautiful through their personalities. But more important that, than any of that is what the, what's released in its encounter after encounter after encounter with the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, no less than Peter's encounter on the beach that morning. Am I communicating? I want you to see things different than how you've been seeing them. Diane Bailey gave me a, 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 felt like she had a prophetic word. I thought it fits in my sermon, so I'm going to share it then. And that is that there are people here today with empty cups. I'm going to tell you, your cup, your spiritual cup can be absolutely full. If you in childlike faith will receive the re- will receive others ministering to you the presence of Christ and you drinking it in, drinking freely from the water of life, eating of the bread of life, in encounters with other people and their feeble attempts to minister to you, including me right now. What matters right now is in not any level of quote unquote anointing or any eloquence with wor- of, of words. What, in, what counts right now is that my I have a full confidence. I see it way different than that. I see me and my feeble efforts to communicate this stuff to you. Each one of you encountering Jesus filling your cup. If you open up your, pull your, if you put your cup up, let him fill it. In fact, throw the cup away and put a bucket up there. I shouted across the street. I was going for a walk. I tend to shout once in a while as I'm going for my walks. And uh, a week or so ago, I saw these young guys across the street. Did I tell you this already? Okay. And I've learned that if the Spirit leads me to do something, I try to respond right away. It's the moment. I don't want to have time to get chicken. So I shouted across 4th Street. Hey, young guys, listen to me. I asked Jesus into my heart over 40 years ago, and every day since I've had supernatural joy resonating in my inner world. I wanted to let you know about that because... If you ever think about becoming a Christian and have a moment when you're thinking about that, you're going to remember the only time anybody shouted across the street about Jesus to you. And I want you to remember that it's marked by joy and you can, be, you can jump into Jesus and have the same joy I've had.
Now here's, my friends, here's my confidence. My confidence isn't I talked anybody into anything. I like it that I'm called not to be a talker into anything. I'm called to be a herald. God does the convincing. I herald the good news and God does his supernatural stuff. I am fully convinced because of the prompting of the Spirit that one or both of those young men are sheep. And Jesus Christ himself was preaching while I was preaching. They had a Christ event experience. And there was a call of compassion, care, feeding, And an invitation to destiny. An invitation to be a son. An invitation to be a servant. An invitation to actually have purpose in your life that fills you with vigor every single day. Fills you with energy and vision and hope and a smile on your face, a song in your heart, a dance in your step every single day. Fills you with vigor because you have purpose. You're a servant that's going to hear one day those words, good and faithful servant, well done. And God's not even waiting for that day. He's saying to you, well done right now. But you've got to be able to see it. I hope you do. There is a spontaneity to this. And because this is a series on Revive Us Again, O Lord, one of the things that we've been doing in different sermons is reaching back into revivals of the past. And I want to, I want you to listen to about a two-minute song by Love Song. It's called the Freedom Song. And I want you to see two things. A profound invitation to experience a resurrection encounter like Peter did on the beach that moves you deeply And then that uh, correlating invitation to reach out in love to other people. Listen to it. It's, it's a song that I think will be a blessing to you. Listen to it. Then I'm going to continue for a few more minutes before we're done today. Here it is. The Freedom Song of the Jesus Revival of the early 70s.
Stand up. All you got to do is take him at his word. All he wants to do is to show you his love and to comfort you. In so doing, you'll find yourself. Oh, I was one other line I yelled at those boys. Every day since I've had supernatural joy resonating in my inner world. And I can't keep still about it. That was the other line. Sam Shoemaker, a Presbyterian 19th century preacher, says, uh, our experience of Christianity may be measured by our inability to keep still about it. Don't stifle the words. Just bumble along and say anything. God will use it. Because Jesus Christ will show up. So in the context of our ministry to each other, be humble and receive the presence of Jesus from each other. And have fun with the freedom to be yourself with the personality that God has given you. Jesus, through your personality, releases presence. Live with that vision in your heart. It's a wonderful way to live. We join hands across the aisle. Some of you are not walking or living with Jesus right now and you want to start. I'm not going to call you forward today. But I do want you to take a moment right now just to, if you're responding to Jesus Christ and you're saying, you know what? I am saying yes to Jesus. He's knocking on the door of my heart. I'm saying, I'm opening the door, Lord. I want your comfort and your love. And I want to have the purpose of releasing your presence to others through who I am, who I'm designed to be. I want to have that purpose in my life the rest of my days, however many days I have left. If that's you, will you take a moment? Let's close our eyes. Will you squeeze hard the hand of the person next to you if that's you? You're saying, I'm, I'm responding to Jesus today. I'm asking him into my heart to get started with my life journey. I'm being born again right now by faith. I'm changing my mind about God. He's not mean. He's kind. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. Squeeze that person's hand. And if someone squeezed your hand right now, squeeze. take a moment to squeeze their hand back. And by that say, I, I'll be praying for you, man. I'll be praying for you. If you did respond to Jesus, be sure and be sure and tell the person you know has been praying for you. Because they will help disciple you into ever increasing, ever increasing levels of resurrection joy.
you won't be able to keep still about it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Beautiful, beautiful Jesus. We praise you for our own personal calling to express overflowing love to your dearly loved lambs. And we praise you that our feeble efforts impart a full-blown resurrection of Jesus encounter no less than Peter's experience on the beach. Here we come, world. Amen. If you have a, uh, like a healing prayer of some kind or a miracle in your life, we'll have a team up here in front. Come on up and let us minister to you. God bless you. Go with a smile on your face. We love you and so does Jesus today. Amen. <laughs>